Father God, you are so marvelous and so wonderful. And Father, just as I look weeks that we haven't been meeting so regularly, and I see that you've taken and you've given, and you are so good. And blessed be your name. And Father, just as we start this new year together, as you circumstances draw everybody back into our family, as new members, new people come and join us, new students, new families, new babies. Father, I just pray that this will be a year where, in spite of anything that happens and everything that happens, Father, may this be a year where we walk so closely with you, where we keep in step with your spirit, where you empower us, Father, to love you well and to be obedient to what you have called us to. Oh, Father, just may we step into this year with no fear, trusting that you've gone ahead of us, that you go before us, that you surround us, that you have plans and purposes for us all that are for your glory and for our good. And so, Father, I just pray for, for us all, Lord. Empower us by your Spirit to be your saints, to be light in this world that is getting darker and darker. I just thank you, Father. Thank you that we have the privilege of joining together, of being together, of being family together, of being on this mission together. And we just look forward to what you've got in store for us this year. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Right, sorry, I didn't introduce myself uh, initially when I welcomed. So my name, for those of you who don't know me, is Johannes. Uh, I'm an elder in this church, and I'm married to Ali, who I'm incredibly grateful for, who prayed a moment ago. Uh, We've got three children, two older children, and one younger child is here today. Um, also so blessed with, with such a wonderful family. Good, so um, let us get into uh, the sermon. So this is, I've still got my L plates on. This is my first in-person sermon. I've, only, I've preached three sermons, and those were uh, all online. So this is my first legit, real live sermon. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, bear with me. Let's, let's see how this goes. But first, I'm going to take a sip of water. And then... Um, I'm just going to pray. Lord, um, I do pray that as we look at your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and open our minds to what you have to say to us through your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't just be hearers of your word, Lord, but that we would be doers of your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm going to preach today from the book of Titus. Um, The passage I'm going to preach from is Titus 3, verses 3 to 8, a short little passage of Scripture, and to me, it is a really, really wonderful piece of Scripture. It's like a juicy piece of steak. It's just really delicious. So for the vegetarians, I'm sorry, you'll have to have your own mental picture. Um, Bright eggplant just doesn't do it for me, but anyway, that'll, you guys can figure that out. But um, So I'm going to start just with a little bit of an introduction on the book of Titus, uh, just to create some context. As I've said, it's a very short book. It's only three chapters long, and the three chapters themselves are are short as well. 
Um, the book of Titus is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to Titus. Paul wrote uh, the book of Titus towards the end of his life. Uh, he was probably about 60 years old, which by first century standards is old. Um, so you can consider Paul, when he wrote this book, a senior citizen in, first century, uh, in the first century context. And it was probably about five years before he was martyred, so about five years before the end of his life. Um, Titus um, is a Gentile, so he's a Greek a Christian, and it seems likely from what we can gather from, from the book of Titus that uh, Paul brought Titus to faith. Um, there's a couple of accounts of Titus in the Bible. From what we gather, can gather, he was a very faithful servant of God, and he was somebody that Paul really trusted. So there's a couple of accounts of Titus in the Bible. The first one that we, reach, read, is in, we read in the book, it's, it's, it's accounted in Corinthians and Galatians. Um, and that was when, uh, earlier on in his ministry, Paul asked Titus to go ahead to the Corinthians and to collect financial gifts for the church in Jerusalem who were struggling financially. So Titus went ahead to collect those gifts, and then he also accompanied Paul afterwards to Jerusalem to take the financial gift to Jerusalem. So that's the first account we read of him. Um, then we read this account in the book of Titus, where it's clear from the book that Paul and Titus together went to the island of Crete, and they were spreading the gospel and preaching the gospel in Crete. Um, and afterwards, when Paul left, we see that Paul tasked Titus with leading the, the, the newly planted churches there. So those who came to faith, they put into churches, um, and Paul's task was to, for a short time to lead these new churches, um, as we'll see just now, to appoint elders in every church, um, and then also to, to teach these new believers. Um, it was only a short appointment because we see that Paul said that he was going to send either Artemis or Tychicus to replace uh, Titus in this task. And then Paul had asked Titus uh, when they arrived to come and join him in Nicopolis, another Greek city where, where Paul was no doubt spreading the gospel. And then the final uh, account that we read of Titus um, is right at the end of, of Paul's life when he was in, under house arrest in Rome before he was martyred. And then we see that he sent Titus to a, a town or a city called Dalmatia, which is uh, in modern-day Serbia, to go and spread the gospel there. Um, so, yeah, we really see that Paul, uh, that, that Paul trusted Titus and that Titus was a faithful servant of God. So if, as we look at the book of Titus... Um, there are two sort of main focal points in the book of Titus. Titus 1 is where uh, Paul gives Titus the instruction to appoint elders in every church in these new little churches that they've planted. And then Paul goes on to uh, give Titus just guidance as to the um, characteristics that elders should have or the qualifications that elders should have. So that's Titus 1. And then in Titus 2 and 3, Paul focuses on um, the messages that uh, he would that, that he's he's giving guidance to Titus as as to what he should preach to these new churches. Um, so that's the second part, and that's the part that we're going to be focusing on. And if you look at Titus two and three, um, to summarize the teaching that that Paul is giving to Titus that he must pass on to the Cretans, uh, you can summarize it as saved by grace for good works. And that's really what we're going to be looking at today. Um, that's going to be the focus of today's sermon is saved by grace for good works. Um, the island of Crete um, is just off the coast of, coast of Greece. It's about 260 kilometers long, um, a decent-sized island with, with a number of cities. 
And I found Paul's description of the people of Crete was incredibly blunt. It actually sounds quite unchristian, <laughs> to be honest. So we read that in Titus 1 verse 12, uh, where, Paul says to, uh, where Paul says to Titus uh, about the Cretans, he says, uh, this is verbatim, one of Crete's own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And then, <laughs> and then Paul goes on to say, and this is true, <laughs> just as in like, this is legit. So, I mean, that, I don't know, it sounds pretty unchristian to me, but so by all accounts, uh, Titus actually had quite a difficult task because the Cretans were apparently, from what we can read here, a pretty rough bunch. Um, so before we get into the text itself, I actually just wanted to pick out one small bit of application here, just like a little freebie, uh, which just struck me. Um, and... I want to challenge the, uh, it might seem strange, but I want to challenge the modern Western view of retirement. And if, if we look at the Western view of retirement, I think for many of those of us, and for those of you who are getting older, you, you might be starting to think about this. We often think about retirement as going to live in a beautiful place uh, and to um, really rest and relax and enjoy your life saving. I think that is probably the ultimate goal for, for Western retirement. But what we see here with Apostle Paul, which just struck me in this book, is that he served God right up to the very end of his life. And we see this with all the other apostles. Um, they served God right up to the end of that life. So just a small bit of application for those of us who are older. And I think for all of us, um, you know, let's, let's aspire to do that. Um, okay, that's just like a little side, side note there. But um, let's get into the text. Um, so Titus 3, verse 3 to 8, for those who would like to follow in your Bibles. And then it's also going to be up on the screen. Okay, let's read it together. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. <clears throat> so, um, I'm going to preach uh, a three-point sermon, like many, like many a preacher, and uh, following suit also from uh, Daniel Tamai, who served us so well last week, who also had a three-point sermon. Um, so, the three points uh, that we're going to look at today, and, and the text really um, lends itself very nicely to this, and I think we can quite clearly divide this text into three bits. The first one is our state without God. Then we are going to look at saved by God's mercy, not because of any righteous things we have done. And then we're going to look at point three, saved to devote ourselves to doing what is good. So let's get straight into the first point, our state without God. And we read this uh, in verse three of Titus three. Uh, let's read it again together. At one time, we too were foolish disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Um, and I think this statement 
really clearly, in verse 3, really clearly articulates our state without God. Um, What was interesting to me is that we we read here that Paul starts with we too. Um, And and thinking about when he says we too, who is he talking about? Well, he's writing the letter to Titus. So I expect that when Paul says we too, he's talking about himself and Titus. Um, And it's lovely for me to see, almost like reminding Titus, hey, Titus, that before you and I came to know the Lord, we too were like this. Um, like these Cretans. Um, so that, 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 that was lovely to me. Um, now, I'm going to look at this statement of, of, our, of our, our, our state apart from God. I'm going to look at it through two lenses. The first one as how it applies to people who don't know God, those who, are, um, who don't know or follow God. I'm going to look at it at that lens. And then secondly, I'm going to look at the statement as how it applies to us who are followers of God and of, and of Christ and who know him. So if we look first at how it applies to those who don't know God, um, there's a lie in society that, um, that's commonly believed by many people, and that is that as humans, we are essentially good, and sometimes we do bad things. But essentially, human beings are good. That, that's the lie that I think many people believe. Um, but we don't need to scratch far below the surface to, to find that many people and and Apart from God, all of us um, are in many ways foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Um, there's a saying which I heard some time ago in a, in a sermon which I, which I really like in this regard, and, and the preacher said that it's a really good thing that God saves dirty, rotten sinners because there isn't any other kind of person. Um, so I love that. I mean, that just describes our state apart from God. We are all dirty, rotten sinners. Um, so I don't think that any of us need any convincing of this. You know, we read it in the news every day when we read what's going on around us. We even see it in the people around us. Uh, so I think we're all acutely aware of, of the state of the world and of human beings apart from God. Uh, it's not a pretty picture. And then if we look at this um, verse 3 in the context of us who are believers, um, it reminds me or makes me think a little bit about the distinction between salvation and sanctification. Um, So just to explain those two terms, when we talk about salvation, um, salvation, um, when when we come to faith and when we come to to know God and when we come to salvation, um, God takes away all of our sins in an instant. So by the death of Jesus, all of our sins are washed and we come to faith not through any of our own good acts, not through any of our good acts, and that is in an instant. So God then sees us as completely sinless. The moment we come come to faith, God sees us as completely without sin. So that is our state as, as those of us who follow Christ. God sees us as sinless. That is salvation. But then the process of sanctification, even though God sees us as sinless, there's still a lifelong process of us living more and more in the way that God had intended us to live. Um, So that is that process of of sanctification. That is is where even for us as Christians, in this process of sanctification, we too at times are foolish and disobedient and deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and and pleasures. Um, And in this regard, I was reminded of the parable of the sower which Jesus told 
uh, when he was on earth. And in the parable of the sower, he spoke about the seeds that fell amongst the thorns. And then the thorns choked uh, those little plants that, that, that germinated in amongst the thorns. And that, to me, kind of speaks to often how I feel as a believer. Um, Jesus went on to explain that, that in that parable, when he explained it to his disciples, he said those seeds that fell am- fall amongst the thorns are like those people who hear the gospel, they hear the good news about Jesus, and, and that little bit of faith starts growing into a little plant. Um, and then he says those thorns that choke the, that little plant, he said it's the worries of life, and it's the pleasures of this world, and it's the deceitfulness of wealth. Um, and I think in, in that process of sanctification, for all of us, um, you know, even as believers, um, sometimes we can allow those things to choke our faith, like those thorns choke the little plants. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to make it, just from my own personal, you know, just a few examples in my life, um, when he talks about, in the parable of the sower, the worries of this life, um, I'm sure all of you can identify with the worries of this life. Uh, I'm a consultant, so I don't get a fixed monthly salary. Um, I'm dependent on work that I get in every month for my income. But sometimes you might have a lean period, and it's very easy then to maybe start worrying and worrying, you know, am I, are we going to have enough money for, to, to meet our needs? Um, so that's something which I identify with. Um, when we talk about the pursuit of pleasure... Um, I can identify with that too. I've got two hobbies which I really enjoy. The one is mountain biking. The other one is adventure motorcycle riding. They are both very time-consuming hobbies, as my wife will know on a Saturday, because I vanish for half the day. Thank you. Um, Not to mention, if you go adventure motorcycle riding, you might go for a few days. So they're time-consuming, but they're also very expensive hobbies. Um, And even though those hobbies aren't in in, in and of themselves bad... um, Sometimes our hobbies can actually, if they're not in their rightful place, uh, they can distract us and turn our eyes away from God himself and what he's called us to. That's definitely uh, an empty pursuit. You know, those are those pursuits, those passions of life which don't deliver. Um, If we look at the last one, the deceitfulness of wealth, again, I can really identify with this. You know, we live in a town with a lot of wealth. And I know for myself, often I look at those around me, um, some of the, you know, we're surrounded by wealthy people in this town, and sometimes I can easily get jealous, or I can feel inadequate, and before you know it, you know, you can easily start chasing after money. Um, So yeah, I can see, even for myself, in this process of sanctification, that that, that apart from God, I too um, am in danger of my faith being choked by these things. Let's move on to point number two, saved by God's mercy not because of any righteous things we have done. So I'm going to read here verses 4 to 7 again. And, jeez, these these verses to me, it's just the the gospel, the good news about Jesus in a nutshell. It puts it so beautifully. Uh, Let's read this together. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. So what a, what a beautiful, succinct description of salvation and of the gospel. Um, it's just absolutely stunning. As I read this when I was preparing the one day, just this opening bit actually brought me to tears 
that God saved us because of his kindness and love. I mean, that, that in and itself, just that God saved us because of his kindness and love is just so beautiful. And then the fact that God saved us, it's, it's, it's put here so clearly that God saved us not because of any righteous things that we have done. So the good things that we do, the good works that we do, cannot contribute at all to our salvation. I mean, that is the crux of the gospel, that we are saved through God's grace alone. Um, It's interesting for me here that um, Paul uses, in this uh, little section of Scripture, he uses both the words grace and mercy. Uh, And just as a little sidebar, um, I used to wonder if you could use the words grace and mercy interchangeably. You know, are they the same? Um, and they are closely linked, but there is also a little bit of a difference between the two words. And a, and a definition that I found really helpful in this regard is mercy is not getting what we deserve, and grace is getting what we do not deserve. So in the context of salvation, we all, because of our sin, we deserve eternal suffering. That is what we rightly deserve because of our sin. But when we are saved, we don't get eternal suffering That's God's mercy. But what we do get is we get eternal life. We get an eternal life with God, which is just beautiful and wonderful. And we don't deserve that at all. God gives it to us, and that's grace. Um, So that's, um, yeah, that is, that's, uh, yeah, really beautiful. Um, I also noted that it was really beautiful to see when Paul uh, talks in verse 5, he talks about, washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And to me it was beautiful that Paul here, when he talks about salvation, that he talks about the the, the role of the Holy Spirit in renewal in salvation. And when I think about the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation, in that renewal, um, it's twofold. And uh, I've lost my place here. Let's just have a look. Um, yeah, so, so firstly, if we look at the Holy Spirit's role in, in that renewal, it's twofold. The one is in, in salvation itself, because really salvation, that is the ultimate renewal when we come from a place of living in sin, destined for eternal suffering, to a place of salvation, destined for just eternal life with God. In that salvation, the Holy Spirit's role in that, in that ultimate renewal is absolutely vital. So... When we come from a place of being unbelievers, it's the Holy Spirit that draws us to God initially that gets our mind to start thinking, wow, you know, I wonder if there is a God. I wonder if he believes. And as we go down that journey, it's the Holy Spirit who ultimately gives us that true faith to know beyond all a shadow of doubt that God does exist and to know that he did die for our sins. So without the Holy Spirit, we can't come to salvation. And likewise, the other kind of renewal, as we spoke before, you've got salvation, you've got sanctification. The other part of renewal is that lifelong process of living more and more in the way that God has intended for us. That's the other kind of renewal. And again, the Holy Spirit is absolutely integral in that process of sanctification. So if we try, we're going to talk in the next section about doing good. If we try in and of our own strength, by our own willpower to do good, we will fail. We will fail time and time and time again. We cannot consistently do good by our own willpower and by our own strength. So if you try and change from the outside in by your own strength, you will fail and become despondent. But it's the Holy Spirit that actually changes us from the inside out 
to do good. So it's that Holy Spirit that does that deep work in us. And through the Holy Spirit's working in us, he gives us the ability to truly then change the way that we behave. Um, and the Holy Spirit does that you know, as we, as we spend time in God's Word, as we spend time with God in prayer and meditation and fellowship with other believers, as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit. Through all these things, the Holy Spirit changes us miraculously and powerfully from the inside out. So his role in that process is absolutely vital. Let's go on to point three, saved to devote ourselves to doing what is good. And this is really the focal point of the sermon, saved to devote ourselves to doing what is good, and also the focal point of Paul's message that he gives to Titus to pass on to the Cretans. This is really the focal point of the second part of the book of, of, of uh, Titus. So let's read together verse 8. Paul says to Titus here in verse 8, This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So when Paul says at the start of verse 8, I want you to stress these things, what things is Paul talking about? He's talking about those things that we've just looked at. The fact that apart from God, we are all sinners who are in desperate need of him. But then when we meet God, that we are saved, not through our good works, not through anything that we've done, 100% by God's mercy. Those are the things that Paul is talking about, that he says, I want you to stress these things. But then there's an important link word in the sentence. Then he says, so that, uh, a very important. So we are saved by God's grace, not by anything good we have, that we have done, so that we may be careful to devote ourselves to doing what is good. So that is why we are saved. We are saved so that we may be careful to devote ourselves to doing what is good. And this is actually, I think for a lot of us, it's a bit of a mystery that we find hard to understand. Um, that on the one hand, that our good works don't add at all to our salvation. They can't add anything to our salvation. But on the other hand, God calls us to good works. So that can sometimes be a little bit confusing for us. But yet Paul is very clear. We saved so that we can devote ourselves to good works. And I think, you know, today for me, the crux as we stand here at the start of 2022 is for each of us to be looking ahead to this coming year, to saying, well, what does that mean for me in 2022? What does it mean for me in 2022 to devote my life to doing what is good? And um, I think this really links very well with Daniel Tamai's uh, excellent sermon last week where he was talking about living justly. So that is one aspect. Living justly is one aspect of doing good, which, Paul, which, which Daniel um, uh, yeah, unpacked for us so beautifully last week. Um, so what I want to do now for the remaining part of this uh, sermon, um, Titus, as I've said, is a very short book. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, gave Titus a lot of very simple, practical advice in the book of Titus to pass on to the Cretans on, on, on what does it mean to do good. Um, and because the book is short, I was able to extract uh, pretty much as far as I could gather um, all of Paul's advice to the Cretans on what it means to do good. Uh, and you'll be relieved to hear I'm not going to go through all of it, um, but 
I think what really struck me of the advice that Paul gave to, uh, well, not advice, it's, it's guidance, it's instruction to Titus that he must pass on to the Cretans. What struck me about it is that it is so incredibly um, just practical. It's really practical, simple advice. Um, I don't know, do you have it on the screen? Um, is, it, is it there? Yes, wonderful. Okay, so we can't see it all on one screen. Um, but this advice is, is, is encapsulated mostly in Titus 2, verse 2 to 11, and Titus 3, verse 1 to 9. Um, and unfortunately, we can't see it on one screen, but um, in Titus 2, verse 2 to 11, Paul um, breaks up this guidance of what it means to do good into different categories of people. He speaks to older men, then he speaks to older women, uh, yeah, older women then he speaks to younger women, then he speaks to younger men, he then speaks to slaves, which I think in our context is, can be very much applied to anyone who's an employee. Um, I think it, it can be very applicable in that context. And then he speaks to all people, uh, both in Titus 2 and in Titus 3. So he breaks it up into all these categories. As I said, I'm not going to go through all of it, but just to pick out a few highlights. And as I say, what I want to highlight here is how incredibly simple and practical Paul's guidance is on doing good. It's, it's not complicated. Um, the first thing that stood out to me is the first step in doing good, surprise, surprise, is not doing bad. So <laughs> Paul talks quite a lot here. If you look, and, and the, one, the one term that came through almost without fail for every category except for slaves, but I'm sure it's, it's equally applicable there, he says to everybody, be self-controlled. That's, his, that, that's the bit of advice that comes across. In, I mean, you can scroll down there, but you'll see it time and time again. Be self-controlled. And being self-controlled, that is very much central to not doing bad. Because if we're not self-controlled, what happens? Well, we do bad. And Paul then gives a couple of examples there. Um, he says, for example, don't be slanderers. Um, don't slander other people. Um, their self-control is needed. He talks about don't be addicted to much wine. Self-control is there. He talks about be pure. When we're talking about purity, self-control is needed there. So... That's step one of being good is let's not be bad. Um, as I say, very, very practical, simple advice that he gives. Then when he talks about doing good, he just, again, he gives such simple, practical instruction. I mean, let's look at what he says to slaves. And like I've said, I think this can be very applicable to any one of us who are an employee and have a boss. He says, be he says slaves, be subject to their masters in everything and try to please them. Be subject to your bosses and in everything try to please them. He says, show that you can be fully trusted. Again, if you're an employee, that's part of doing good. Show that you can do these things. Um, he says, these things are unprofitable instruction that all of us can follow. Um, and in this context, I know for me sometimes, and I think for a lot of people, you hear it quite often, we have this struggle about uh, what is God's calling on my life. And sometimes we can actually get quite paralyzed, especially... I think when we're younger, about this whole concept, what is God's calling? What is his calling for my life? Not just when you're younger. I think for us men, when we get to midlife, and we, kind of, we can also question these things a lot. Um, and I think in this regard, God hasn't called many of us to be like Billy Graham, where we have take the gospel to millions and millions of people. So there's not many of us that God has got these, what we consider to be big callings, where we're going to reach millions for him. Um, that is the exception. But God has called each one of us to do good. Every single one of us, he's called us to do good. And there's no mystery in what it means to do good. Um, 
you know, in my own life, this is something which, which I struggled with. You know, when I was younger, I also was questioning, you know, what is God's calling for my life? And I also wrestled with it. And part of that is I wanted to do great things for God. I, me, I wanted to do great things for God. Um, but that was something that I really wrestled with. And I think what God showed me over the years is that there's not necessarily going to be a huge, massive Billy Graham type of calling on my life as much as I might have aspired to that as a younger Christian. Um, but to, I think to sum up what, what I just felt over the years that God had taught me in that regard, um, I think what really sums it up and encapsulated beautifully is a quote by Mother Teresa where she says, There are no great acts, only small acts done with great love. So when we talk about doing good, so much of doing good is just those small acts every day done with great love. And God calls each one of us to that. So again, as we look to 2022, each one of us have got a choice. Are we going to live for the passions of this world in 2022? Are we going to let the passions of this world, the worries of life, the pursuit of pleasure, the deceitfulness of wealth... Are we going to allow those things to choke our faith like those thorn bushes choke the little plants? Or are we going to live to do good as God instructs us through Paul here in the book of Titus? Are we going to live to do good many acts, each many, many acts, little acts done with great love? Um, I think for each one of us, that for me is a challenge that we can take on this year that God is, is calling us to. And just finally, in closing, why must we do good? Um, Paul covers this, uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Titus covers this in a number of different places throughout the book, but um, I think the one for me where he puts it most clearly as to why we must do good is in Titus 2, verse 9. So if we look at Titus 2, verse 9, Paul says, when he's talking about all of these uh, good deeds or good things that the Cretans must do, he said, so that... In every way, we will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So that is why we ought to do good, so that we will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. So what Paul's talking about here, he's really talking about sharing the gospel. That's what he's talking about. That is the teaching of the Savior. That's why we must do good, so that the teaching uh, about God, our Savior, is attractive. And, And what stood out for me about this statement is that When we're talking about sharing the gospel, we see both aspects here in Titus 2 verse 9. We see that preaching the gospel is in deeds, so we do these good things so that the teaching is attractive, but then we also teach the gospel, so it's both deeds and words, and those two go together in sharing the gospel. So that's why we do good. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your instruction in in your word. We thank you that the instruction in your word is for our good, Lord. And that we thank you, Lord, that as we live uh, according to your blueprint that you've given us, and as you enable us through your Holy Spirit to do that, and as we change, Lord, uh, more and more to live as the way you intended, I thank you, Lord, that that is for our good, Lord. Thank you for your blessings on us, Lord. Thank you that you have turned us from a life apart from you, Lord, where we were lost in sin and suffering in sin, Lord, that you have saved us and brought us to a place where we can have life and life in abundance, Lord. And I pray for each one of us in this room here, Lord, 
I pray that as we look towards 2022 and beyond, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will convict each one of us, Lord. What is it that you want us to do, Lord? The good that you want us to do. And in every day, in every moment, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would convict us and enable us and empower us in every moment to do the good in that moment that you call us to do, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And Tanya would like to come and share something with us, just a word that she feels that the Lord has for us. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, just to let you know who I am, I actually come from New Jane, Somerset West, and um, Karen and Warren were my wonderful uh, life group leaders, so at least they know me. I'm not completely wacko. Um, I'm a bit wacko, so don't ask Kaylin about that. So... Um, I was very insistent that I um, come to service um, this morning. Um, I actually told my husband, Donnie, we have to be here this morning. And then I had a dream in the night. Sorry, I'm going to shake because there is an incredible anointing in this place. you, You may not have all seen it yet, but I have. And in my dream... It was like I was at NASA, and there was something in the sky, and people were desperate, like in desperate to see it, and they couldn't see it. And I I saw this mist, which is quite weird, because when I woke up this morning, there was this mist over everything, and it was supposed to be hot today. And there was this mist lying over the area, and everybody was looking into the sky for answers. And I, was, I became desperate. I said, Lord, I want to see. I want to see. I want to see what it is. Don't let me miss what it is. And then suddenly I saw an enormous, if I talk about enormous, it was something spiritual, something from another realm. I saw a fish eagle the, flapping its huge entire wings, and it was swooping just inside the, this mist cloud and God says my glory comes and it comes and sits and the symbol when I woke up it was so clear that I went to scripture and I started reading all the scripture where there was eagles in it and it's and I just started weeping and I said Lord but what do you want to say and he says my people I'm calling my people to righteousness Righteous living is what is going to bring the unsaved, the broken, the bondaged into my kingdom. And it is my people that have to live that way. And it was just profound. And I I said to the Lord, well, you know, here I am coming to one hope because there's only one hope. And it's Jesus. So if you want to see him, if you want to see him. He will show himself to you. But you have to. You have to come to him. You have to put time in. You have to live right. And this, this sermon was so amazing. And you've got such wonderful leaders. But I'm telling you, if you've got sin in your life, go to one of them. Say, I don't want to live like this anymore. I've had sin in my life. I know what it feels like, but get rid of that sin, get rid of that shame, because that eagle is swooping over, and the glory of the Lord wants to settle in this place. Tanya, thanks so much for your obedience and sharing that word. 
And yeah, I really believe that is a word from the Lord for us today, just in line with what he's uh, shown us today out of Titus.